Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby and this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, as always, Andy and I had a bit of a chat, some of it football related, some of it not. Andy uh, lived out an ambition of his, one of his obsessions, as you'll discover. Um, We spoke, as we always do, on a Friday to Mike Ward uh, on the non-sporting telly. We looked at a week of sport on TV with Martin Kellner and away from that, we we entered the world of fantasy football and boffins at Limerick University who've looked into fantasy football football and offered some top tips and some uh, interesting stats and facts about the world of fantasy football if you're looking to improve as a player. So, uh, here it all is. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul. And that is good news that we just heard from yeah. Fletch there about the handball rule. Probably not last night. Scott Parker and Josh Madge. No, no, no not, absolutely not. No, no, I mean, I've, I thought, you know, that uh, basically Josh, Josh Major and Timo Werner, you've been Ellerid. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, those are the two worst. They, it's funny that it would happen in one night. The two worst reasons to disallow a goal. Mm. The, the Josh Major, it wasn't, it was, the dual standard handball was never handball anywhere. Yeah. And no one's really said this, but this rule that, you know, you can be offside if your shoulder's offside. Mm. Surely that should only apply in the six yard box. Who can score from 35 yards with his shoulder? Unless you're Dwayne the Rock Johnson, give it one of those. I mean, for goodness' sake, you can't score from 35 yards with your shoulder. It shouldn't matter. That was, you know, that was a goal for Werner last night. I mean, blimey, he needs enough of them. Let's be honest. Yeah, I've never seen a bloke miss so many chances. We were having a chat, my son. I reckon if he played for City, he'd still only get about five a year, <laughs> even with all those chances. He was it's unlucky last night. The first one, he just looped into mm. uh, Allison's hands a bit, didn't he? But um, yeah, he should have let it drop. Really, yeah. good chance. Look, gonna, um, I mean. It, is a, uh, having been sawn off by one of those, there can't be many mm. teams that haven't. I mean, we had one of the very worst people forget last oh, year yeah. when yeah, yeah. John Egan fouled Lucas Mora, kicked the ball at him from about a mm. foot, and then Harry Kane scored and it was ruled out. I mean, you know, you don't give people a chance, do you? No, it's we, we had, the worst one we had was in the Ajax game when the ball, I think Aspilicueta, struck it against uh, Tammy Abraham. He couldn't get out of the way. He wasn't on the handball on any planet on this universe in this solar system. And the ball goes back to Aspilicueta. He puts it in and the ref goes, no, that's a... Hey, I think most people uh, have been sawn off and most people would be pleased to see it yeah, uh, it's, it's go. A poor, it's a typical error. It's yeah. a poor law. But it was funny how we all do this as football fans. I mean, I thought Kante was having quite a 
poor game last night. My son sent me a text saying he hasn't completed a forward pass yet. And just then he became N'Golo Modric, but that brilliant ball yeah. to uh, Mason Mount. It was a good goal there. I mean, it's hard to judge how good a performance that was. We're going to talk about Liverpool, aren't we? I we mean, are. Chelsea played yeah. well and it was a good, you know, you don't often go to Anfield and win, but, you know, they are the fifth team to win there in a row. So you do think, you know, that it's more, probably more to do with the way Liverpool are playing than the way Chelsea played. But still, yeah. well, what we'll take t- the three what, points. I'm interested to know what Tuchel's done differently because he's still unbeaten, isn't he? I mean, what have you mm. noticed? What's he done differently to Lampard? Key, the, one of the key things is Jorginho. He's reinstated Jorginho to a vital part of the team. Mm. And Jorginho's first thought now is forward. Yeah. So he gets the ball and he goes on the half turn and he looks forward. And whereas under Sari and under Lampard, it was always backwards, sideways, backwards, sideways, very rarely forward. And he's a good player. You know, he's, a good, he's not the quickest, but he's a good passer. Mm. And so it's made a difference. It keeps Chelsea moving and ticking. And Christensen, who also struggled under Lampard, and wasn't that much oh, I would think. Rudiger, well, yeah. yeah. So, you know, just it's that thing that a new manager can do, bring in a sort of, you know, get, reinstate players who've, who've felt out of form. And I think he's, it's something about him because Chilwell, you know, was missing out to Alonso and then suddenly Chilwell's now back in playing quite well. So mm. that's what a good manager does. But we'll, we'll see. It's very early days and it's so tight, isn't it? I think Leicester are in trouble now. Sorry, Jeff. Because of the injuries. Are, yeah. Injuries and, you know, they looked like they would be a clear second at one point and they still might be, but they need to pick up and United need to... You know, need to also need to pick up a bit. That was a poor performance. I couldn't understand in that game. I don't know if you mentioned it yesterday, but why weren't Palace and United using a, a yellow ball? Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was. I know they've switched to the white ball, but surely common sense would tell you mm. it's a dark, misty night. You have the yellow ball because it's dark and you can see it. But I, I mean, I know my eyes aren't the best, but I kept losing flight. Okay, what? I think what, to be honest, good... mm, yeah, we yeah, were hoping right. for the fog to be even worse. Really, we were saying yesterday we, we, we needed a right old cockney pea super really to yeah, probably, completely obscure yeah. the pitch but that wasn't great yeah. so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we are going to Adam Rowe's going to join us comedian Liverpool fan who, uh, kind of level headed Liverpool fan and uh, mm. we'll get his take on, on what's happening at the club at the moment as we said if you, if you like your fantasy football we're going to speak to the boffins at the University of Limerick who've done a deep dive into the world of fantasy football statistically and come up with some very interesting stuff about the people the sort of things that people who are good at fantasy football uh, mm. do um, and what makes them so good so there's bound to be a few tips for you yeah, it's, it's you Professor Joseph this. O'Brien Professor Joseph O'Brien mm. and I always wanted to sort of when it's the University of Limerick you always want to go there was a young prof called Joe yeah, there <laughs> was, yeah, yeah we won't go, finish you know. that one yeah, exactly the University <laughs> of Ealing is always the worrying one <laughs> from my point of view that's why we've never <laughs> had him on um, one thing though you may have seen today and I, mm. I, I've read um, the the Craig Brown book not the not the old Scotland manager, but the uh, the writer Craig Brown oh, yeah. uh, about mm. the Beatles, and uh, it's very good, oh, yeah. good read. So they're kind of um, a mate of mine says that he's done a couple of books like this. He said they're like um, biographies of all the boring bits taken out, um, and uh, it, they're very <laughs> very well put together. I recommend it if you if you're a fan of the Beatles. But he talks about this that all, all the Beatles effectively learned to do each other's signatures. So there probably are an awful lot of signatures out there that aren't necessarily... Because then, you know, someone would do a signing session and give the other boys a day off. (laughs) So I suppose that was the nature of it. So there there probably are people. I just wondered, I mean, it's kind of gone there, isn't it? The selfie has taken over from the autograph. I wonder if they are quite as coveted as as they used to be. But I I, I wonder if anybody out there has, has got a... 
Because a couple of things on autographs. One was you can ne- it never looks like the name, does it? When you actually look at the name, somebody <laughs> writes best wishes. How rarely can you... You probably got autograph books at home when you went down to the training ground as a kid. You cannot recognise who that was. <laughs> you used to put in brackets in uh, block letters next to it who the player was. You know, Don McAllister or whatever in block letters so you could remember. <laughs> but um, so we, I, I'm interested if you've got some of those. What does it actually look like? When you when you spell it out and whose autograph was it, and uh, maybe you've maybe have you I'm, I'm, I don't mean from a fraud point of view, but have you ever faked an autograph? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And in what circumstances this afternoon? Not clearly for the purposes of fraud. We don't want to go down that route. But let us know. Sporting ideally, but it doesn't have to be. Talksport.com. Text eight ten eighty nine or tweet to TSHNJ. Because I think some people are quite aggressive when they pursue autographs. And I remember going down to the Chelsea training ground a few years ago now. And it actually must have been because it was at Harlington. And these kids were waiting for the players. And this young boy starts, he sees Frank Lampard and he starts shaking. He goes, Lampard, Lampard, Lampard. He's like, I'm waving. I said, that's Mr. Lampard to you. Oh, yeah. Go, what do you say? What's, you, what's he got to do with you, granddad? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. He probably I wasn't did. even granddad in those days. No, that's right. Yeah, Blimey, it was that long ago. What about that? <laughs> Anyway, yeah, yeah. get in touch on that. They're, and, yes, they're only sorry. really like a selfie. They're the same thing, aren't they? It's the same principle behind it. Here I am with a fa- I met a famous person. So the autograph says you met a famous person. Yeah. The selfie says you met a famous the person. The selfie's a, the bit, a, bit, a bit higher mm. maintenance, isn't it? You've got to get in the picture. You've got to get close. Mm. So I didn't quite come out that. Can we do another one? It's like <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, person yeah. just wants to get on with their <laughs> shopping and halfway around Waitrose or whatever. <laughs> so it's easy just to kind of scribble in a book, isn't it? I mean, in tennis, they've still got to that. They'll, they'll do the odd selfie, but maybe it's just scribbling on a giant who buys who buys the giant tennis ball for autograph purposes fantastic <laughs> whose idea was that what we need is a giant tennis ball that'll be the uh, yeah anyway we'll move on the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast hey there it's Michelle Norris I'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when I travel I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home and one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain and Airbnb allows me to do that when I was in California recently I rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well if you have a home but you're not always at home you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. 
Paul Hawksby, Andy Jacobs here on Talk Sport. Um, we talked earlier on about this story that the Beatles could all uh, forge each other's uh, autographs uh, back in the day so they wouldn't have to do massive signing sessions. Someone would take it on. Um, and you're, you're telling us some stories. Andy has dug out his wife's old autograph book. We'll bring you the best of that later. Mark from uh, Ockenden, though, in Essex, says, I came across, across your show a few years ago telling you the story of myself winding up a mate for a year with a bogus member t- membership sorry, to the Bucks Fizz fan club. Having spent months compiling newsletters and competitions, <laughs> I regularly forged the autographs of all the band members, including a completely made-up signature of Bobby G's mum. That's that is a, that's an elaborate wind-up, isn't it, Mark, really, to go that far? Newsletters, the lot. Well done. Anyway, keep those coming. Talksport.com, text 81089 or tweet to TSH&J. Now, the world of fantasy football we were talking about a little while ago because chess grandmaster Magnus Carlsen is a bit of a star, almost became the world champion. I think he was in the top three wasn't he in the end but anyway um, mm. the good people at the University of Limerick have done a deep dive statistically into the world of uh, fantasy football and came up with some interesting stuff and uh, joining us now from uh, Limerick University Joseph O'Brien Joseph good afternoon hello how are you doing yeah we're good yes good. It, look at that. this this must have been a lot of fun for you and your team there must have been times thinking this is great this isn't like work <laughs> It was great fun, yeah. A lot of people do research for good reasons, you know, curing cancer and stuff, but we got to look at fancy football, so. Yeah. So what, what, what were you looking for? Did you kind of set out with, with a sort of premise? Or what, what were you looking for? Were you just looking at the whole world of it and how it works? Sure. So on the face of it, I think fancy football should be an easy game in that you pick the best players, the Mo Salas, the De Bruyne's, and you just really roll the dice and you should win or lose depending on how it goes. And if that was the case, you'd expect there to be a lot of like randomness and noise. But in fact, we looked at the performance of managers for like 10 years and found that the good managers were consistently good all the time. So there was real skill going on behind the scenes. The pressure, though, being a real manager is very different, isn't it, from being a fantasy manager? Yeah. Do you play fantasy football? <laughs> well, no, come on. <laughs> it's your just job, a game, Your job's not it? on the line, is it, really? Uh, but, you know, the banter, the Friday evenings, um, you, mm. you're very wary of having a bad week. <laughs> so you you, you've, you, and all the guys in your department at Limerick, you, you all do, you all play fantasy football, do you? Yeah, there's a big group of us that do. Um, it was one of the motivations for the research. I, I lost the league two years ago and that kind of pushed me towards it. Mm. And what, what were the common things that kept coming up amongst those people that are good? I'm sure you've, you've taken from this research, you've taken a lot of tips yourselves that you've carried into playing the games for sure i have um some of the things that really kept coming up was that it didn't appear that they were making decisions um for the next week like they weren't worried about man city and man united playing this weekend they've already factored that in from weeks ago and they're thinking four or five weeks down the line um so there's real evidence of of long-term planning the second thing that they're really good at i think is identifying players that are priced wrong in the game so players who price maybe it's their first year there so they don't know the best price to give them and then they're like underpriced in a a market kind of perspective so they can take advantage of that what did you make of this story a couple of weeks back when uh jack Grealish was out and it sort of leaked out didn't it that from we don't know who from but people suddenly all the fantasy players knew that Grealish wasn't going to play and they could take him out of the team yeah, that was a big story. Um, so there's multiple sites on social media that kind of leak this kind of news. Um, and they track like the accounts of people in, in different teams. But I think the fans of Premier League are catching on to that. So 
for example, up until last year, the deadline was always one hour before the first game of the weekend. But what started happening was that like TV producers and whatnot started leaking the team before that deadline for the first game. So you mm-hmm. knew who was going to play. So they moved the deadline back to an hour and a half. So I think they're always aware that these things are happening and trying to get rid of them. You also found, uh, uh, Joseph, that the, the players that were very good at this, um, the sort of top half a dozen or whatever, had lots of very, very similar players in their teams. I suppose that, that stands to reason. But you kept coming across among the top players the same footballers that they'd picked for their team. Yeah, so what in the Premier League, there's about 600 players. Um, so you'd expect fantasy teams to be pretty spread out amongst them. But in fact, the very best managers were really just selecting from like a subgroup of 30 all the time. Um, so we could use tools from machine learning and things like that to identify who those players actually were. Because mm. in the, the year you did, and this was before um, uh, Aaron Wambasaka went to United and was still at Palace. And he was very key in, in the season you looked at, along with Salah and De Bruyne, obviously. Exactly. Aaron Wambasaka, that was his debut season for Crystal Palace. He kind of came out of nowhere. Like he was like an 18-year-old debut, and the game didn't know how to price him correctly, so he was really underpriced for what he was doing. Like Roy Hodgson knows how to keep a clean sheet, um, so the fancy managers could take advantage of that, and you'd have more money to spend elsewhere than on the De Bruyne's and Salas. And I was reading as well that you yourself, uh, I mean, you said about losing the league, but is this right that you went from 100,000th to 8,000th applying some of the things that you learned? I did, yeah. So there's <laughs> roughly 8 million players in the game. So, you know, that's another good thing that came from this, all the press and publishers and all this kind of stuff. Sure. But I've actually got a lot better fancy Premier League out of it. <laughs> what were you doing it's wrong good. before, Joseph? It's obviously, it's allowed you to pinpoint where you were getting it wrong before. Yeah, I think like a lot of people, I was always worried about the next week. Um, so focusing on the matches coming up this weekend, when in reality, you should be thinking a few weeks down the line. So you've got long-term planning in, in what you're doing at all times. So you're saying you didn't take each game as it comes. I mean, uh, what kind of manager are you? Just like in real management. Yeah. yeah, just like in real management, there's different styles. Um, some are very tactical and data-driven. Some are shooting from mm. the hip. Um, I changed from one to the other. Okay. We, we should ask you, Jason, because often over the years we've discussed this, that uh, some of our listeners, when they play this, these games, these football manager games and these sort of things, they actually, you know, give themselves award ceremonies. They, they put suits on for match day. Do you do any of that sort of stuff? I've never put on the suits, um, but we do have end of season kind of drinks to celebrate the winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about as far oh, as we go. Fair enough. And it, look, as you remember, <laughs> that, uh, you know, to, to win this outright, is, it can be very lucrative. Quite a lot of the newspapers do them as well. So it can, it, it, it can be a bit of a fundraiser, this, can't it? Not just a bit of fun. Yeah, I think a lot of people are in leagues now where they pay to enter and there's prize money. And at the very, very top, I think that the top managers are in multiple ones of these and are making almost a living out of Fantasy Premier League, for sure. Right. Well, so yeah. where, where can people find your uh, research? I'm sure there's a lot of Fantasy League players who would love to read it. Sure, yeah. If you go to my website, joeyobrien.ie, you should be able to get access to the link from there. Or just Google my name and Fancy Premier League. It should come up. Excellent. All right, well, look, I'm sure you, you, you'll have a fair bit of traffic today, especially, you know, I think people have probably got there. When do you have to get your teams? I don't play, Joseph, but what time? When do you have to get your teams in by for tomorrow? Tomorrow morning, what, 11 oh. o'clock? Oh, in that case. Oh, okay. uh, people Brilliant. have got time. Go and check it out and uh, yeah. Yeah. Find, out, find out from the boffins. <laughs> Cheers, Joseph. Good to talk to you. Thanks, lads. There we are. Joseph O'Brien from Limerick University there with his uh, team uh, research on fantasy football.
Yeah, I mean, although you produced the show for many years, Andy, you never played it, no? No, I never played it, and uh, we we ran with it for the first series. We Mm. may have done... I remember deciding to chuck it out. I thought it became an annoying element. Got in the the way of the gags, didn't it? Yeah, Yeah, got in the way of the jokes. We got rid of it in the end. But uh, but it was always known as fantasy football. I mean, it had a real... We, um, on 90 Minutes, we were the first publication before the newspapers mm. picked up on it um we were the first publication to run a sort of fantasy league in the magazine and then that yeah. developed because we got a bit bored with it after a couple of years hard to believe but um we had the nightmare league which is where you you chose a team that would be the worst defense the worst goalkeeper <laughs> the player that really got the most on. red cards <laughs> it did people liked it but it, it wasn't yeah. never quite as popular as Picking your team in the, the way you would normally. There's, but, um, there's yeah. a brilliant 30 for 30 about the start of all this because it was originally a baseball thing called yeah, Rotisserie yeah. League. Yeah. It's well worth watching if you if you like fantasy games like that. It was a, a guy called Andrew Weinstein, wasn't it, who, who kind of brought it over and, and yeah. adopted it from the American game yeah. into, into football. He was the original Stato in the pilot, only to be replaced by Angus Lockridge. Really? <laughs> yeah. Two very different men, I have to they say. They are. They're, yeah, two incredibly different men. That is very true. Um, you've been telling us about forging autographs. Uh, I once faked the autographs of you too on a CD for my girlfriend's birthday, Prezi. After doing Bono... Well, us two. No, no, not, <laughs> no, not me. This is from Kevin. He said, no, not you too. Oh, well, I'm with you. Very good. Uh, after you. doing Bono and the Edge, I realised I didn't know what the others were called. I could have just looked at the sleeve, I suppose. So I just scribbled something for the last two and she fell for it. So uh, there we are. It's not that bad. Some of, some of Sue's are amazing. Yeah, you've I got mean, your wife's autograph book. What's in there? Well, the first one says, Hi, Sue. Sincerely, Tony Hall. I don't know if that was the bloke from the BBC. I doubt it. <laughs> Tony, Tony Hall, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to Sue, uh, best wishes, Larry Gretton. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? I'm I'll look him up. Them. Larry Gretton. <laughs> Who was Larry Gretton? What was he famed? Not Larry Grayson, is it? No, Larry, <laughs> shut that door. No, Larry. Oh, Gretton. no, he was a singer who sang with um, Ross McManus. It all fits in with ah, Elvis Costello's dad. <laughs> They sang with a Chris, Joe Loss orchestra. This one sounds like a footballer. Chris Cur- Curtis. Oh, your granddad, kids. <laughs> Chris yeah. Curtis. He's in there. Chris Curtis. Uh, oh, that's not as uncommon a name. That could be anybody. Lionel Merton. I think he was quite famous, wasn't he, with Dickie Henderson? Oh, let's not, go down the, let's not go down this route. Blimey. Even. <laughs> oh, Tony Hall's in there again. <laughs> Tony Hall was very popular with your missus, wasn't oh, here's, he? Here's one you've heard of, though. Graham Nash. I've got a few more. The last oh, one for now. Oh, Graham Nash from Crosby, Stills, Nash, Nash & Young. That's, well, that's, that is impressive. Chris Curtis was Still in, worth nothing. Chris Curtis was in the, 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 the band The Searchers, of course. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. So, oh, she, was, she, loved, she loved the pop. She loved the big a bit, band. Bit of a groupie. Okay, you, you might find some interesting ones in there. Haven't you ditched yeah, that bloke? It might be some incriminating <laughs> evidence. Anyway, we move on. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. You've been telling us about forging autographs. Quite a few of you have signed mm. autographs as well over the years. Um, and this one comes from Chopper. 40 years ago this summer, we went on a train from Madrid to the south coast. It was a school summer trek. Our leader, the chemistry teacher, Alan Prince, looked just like Bobby Charlton. We convinced several Spaniards that he was indeed uh, Bobby. And an hour into the journey, we had a queue down the carriage with Alan at the front, happily signing autographs as the Manchester United legend. Brilliant. <laughs> Did he have the sweep? I th- well, I think he said he was uh, had a very, very strong resemblance. Yeah, very good one. 
Um, I've got a few more of these. Uh, I used to have a small packaging business, says uh, Mark in Sheffield. And to get an order, I told one of the um, purchasers at a company that I knew Sean Bean very well, and she was very taken with that. I said, don't worry, I'll get... Oh, yeah, Sean, I'll get his autograph for you. <laughs> so, of course, he, he forged it. Um, oh, anything can get an say. order. Sorry, Sean, if you're listening. He does like a bit of talk sport. <laughs> Ironically, I bumped into Sean outside a pub about three months later. He could have gotten it. Could have got the real one. <laughs> he could have got the real one. He couldn't go back on it, could he? Do you want some more of Sue's uh, top autographs? Oh, yeah, now Andy has, Andy has dug out his wife's, <laughs> dusted down his wife's autograph book. Um, and it's, it, there's no sporting ones, Andy, in there, I'll take it, is there? No, although best wishes Bobby Elliott sounds like a footballer. It does sound like was. a footballer. I don't know who he was. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great having a, a book of autographs of people that we have absolutely no idea who they are. <laughs> no disrespect, but some, <laughs> some of the names are not great. Played, he was in the Hollies. Names. Bobby Elliott. These are all, we had the Searchers, oh, yeah. we had the Hollywoods, uh, you know, Graham Nash and all that. So we've had a lot of this yeah. sort of stuff going on so she was clearly Larry, going, going to a lot of pop <laughs> concerts Larry Gretton is in twice okay uh, why does she go back for a second <laughs> autograph with the same person no idea. just to see if their handwriting had changed <laughs> yeah that seemed very Andy odd. Andy Silver I think that was uh, spelled Andy A-N-D-double-E so I think that's a woman okay um, yeah it's, it's great. Uh, Mike, the, the oh, Marvels. Mike Darbo. Mike Darbo. That's not bad, is oh, it? Oh, yeah. Man for a man. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's, this is, um, they're all following a pattern. I mean, she clearly wasn't hanging around the Luton training ground. These are all <laughs> backstage at the Hammy Odeon or the Lyceum, aren't they? Andy Silver was, uh, was a singer. Um, and a bit of a star. The, of, I think of it was because her, her uncle, Joe Loss, had a radio show and uh, she used to get invited along and they, he, Joe would have some of the groups of the day on with him for some yeah. reason. Much of a show. Really. <laughs> Spencer Davis is the final oh, one well, I've got to you're offer. talking Stevie Winwood, for goodness sake. You're, you're talking yeah. sort of punk rock royalty, aren't you? So some of these exactly. are quite good. Marvellous. Yeah. Anyway, uh, keep those oh, coming. Oh, yeah, Stevie oh, yeah. Winwood. There he is. He's in there. What about that? Yeah. So see, there's some good ones. There's some, there's some wheat amongst the chaff. With, uh, with <laughs> no disrespect, of course, to uh, Andy, who we mentioned just now, Andy Silver. Um, so, so uh, yeah, in the eighties, the pre-tournament to Wimbledon was held at Ashton Park, West Kirby, Wirral. Someone in a shop mistook me for Boris Becker. I mean, it's quite a distinctive look, isn't it? <laughs> it is, really. I mean, uh, I you gladly... You in the cupboard, were you? <laughs> Drew says, I glad... I went route one there. I gladly yeah, obliged I did, yeah. with an autograph. So uh, if, you've, if you've passed yourself off, or indeed have signed autographs when someone said, here, you're that Boris Becker, then let us know. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Hawksby and Jacobs here on TalkSport. Andy Goldstein and Darren Bender here at four with Drive. But now looking back on a week of sport on TV is uh, squad number nine, Martin Kellner. Good afternoon. King of Overnights. Good afternoon, Martin. Yes, King of Overnights. A very good afternoon to you. Hope you can hear me okay. Yeah, BT are pulling my uh, internet cable at the moment. Are they? So, um, well, you're telling yeah, to stop. Yeah. Are up. Not a great idea, is it? <laughs> Misses. No, Misses. Yeah, my speeds are going up and down. But I'll, uh, I'll do what I can. Um, yeah, I watched uh, Battle of the Sexes, mm-hmm. which, which is interesting because uh, it's confusing, actually, because there's a, a feature film running at the moment called Battle of the Sexes yeah. with uh, Emma Stone playing uh, Billie Jean King and Steve Carell playing uh, Bobby Riggs. Mm. So, of course, we're talking about the famous 1977 match when uh, former champion uh, Bobby Riggs said he could beat the best, even at the age of 55, he could beat the best woman player in the world. So that's what the story is. 
But like I say, it's a feature film, but it's also a documentary, mm. which uh, at the moment is showing on um, on Sky Doc. Oh, sorry, on Netflix. Have you uh, seen the, the feature film, Martin? I just wondered uh, if, I've how seen does both. it compare. Oh, Andy's seen both. Okay, and what, how do and they? I've, have seen, a, I've yeah. seen both. Oh well, I'm, I'm I've seen both. Loop. And in actual, in actual fact, mm. yes, you're out of the loop. Uh, Paul. <laughs> no, in, in actual fact, <laughs> good story. Uh, the story, the story told. I mean, it's a great story, and the story told in the feature film is very accurate. No, okay. you normally you would expect to see a documentary and find, you know, the details different, although they've made lots of, uh, you know, lots of mistakes. But no, not at all, I, I would recommend either. It's a great story. And, and what really struck me about this is, and every time I see anything about Billie Jean King, I'm always, uh, I always find her more admirable. You know, I was lost in admiration for it, mm. not just because she campaigned uh, for women's tennis and, you know, they needed a leader and she was a leader and she got them sponsorship and got them their own tournament, mm -hmm. but because she was uh, such a trooper. And, uh, you know, it was clearly a real circus. You know, Bobby Riggs was an amazing self-publicist, a gambler mm. uh, and all that. And, and he it was all about Bobby Riggs, really. Um, but... Because she wanted to sell tickets, and don't forget, they filled the Houston Astrodome. More people than had ever watched a tennis match wow. live before. Yeah, they filled that. And uh, she, even though it was a complete circus, she took part in every stunt. She was always a sort of smiling, pleasant presence on the TV. She did all the chat shows, anything to sell tickets. And I thought, you know, it showed that she wasn't... Because we always thought at the time she was a little bit stern, a bit humourless, mm. but not at all, uh, either in the documentary or, of course, in the movie with uh, Emma Stone. And she set up that the tournament the Virginia Slims tournament, which uh, was um, was a, a great starter cigarette for women. Uh, you know, <laughs> different times, <laughs> different times, Martin. Different at different times it's is what true, I was explaining. The uh, yeah, the starter cigarette for kids was players number six. Yeah, of course but, not, for kids. If you're listening, Uncle, uh, no, Uncle no, Martin. In those days, Martin's right. Of course, now yeah. you'd never have anything like it. But yeah, that's no, true. You, you know, and they were they were like little slim things. They were starters. It's bleak, isn't it? So. Well, it sounds good. It well, well, I, if the, I'm only going to watch one of them, shall I watch the documentary uh, or the film first? What do you think? Oh, either, either right. to be honest. Okay, um, all right. I mean, Steve Carell, it's a fantastic... I mean, he's always great, but mm. it's a brilliant performance as uh, as Bobby Riggs. And, um, oh, but go and either, check it out. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, well, I, I'd, I'd say one. the documentary has the real... It's the real story. Sure. It's the okay. real it's people. Well, so, I'm, I'm sure both check great. Out, I'll check out both. Um, now, yeah. I've not seen this. I will watch it over the weekend. The Bruno Tyson documentary on Sky Documentaries, Martin. What have you made of that. Yeah, the Bruno Tyson. I'm just sure kind of documentary. It might be Netflix. I might have got that wrong. But um, it's, anyway, it's on, it's I, think it's I think it's on. It's on it's Sky Documentaries. I think it is. Yeah, yeah I think it yes. is. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. It. yeah, you're absolutely right. My apologies. No um, yeah. yeah, I mean this. This again is a great story, um, and certainly for terminal nostalgists. I'll tell you what I enjoyed particularly uh, about this was all the um, all, all the interviews. Obviously, Bruno was was everywhere. What you what you sort of forget is how ubiquitous boxing. Well, you know how mainstream yeah, boxing was in those days. You know, way before on, sort of pay per view. Yeah, things. on the Beeb a lot. Most of the big fights were, were on terrestrial TV, mm. weren't they? Not always yeah, live, but they the... were on terrestrial TV. <laughs> 
Yes, they were. And, yeah. uh, you know, as a result of that, you had loads of uh, interviews that uh, Bruno was on with um, with Michael Barrymore, with Noel Edmonds, Richard Keyes on uh, TVAM, lots right. of great names there. Mm. Uh, he was on with Wogan a couple of, um, in fact, he was on with Wogan a few times. Uh, Des Lynham introducing the, uh, it was about the two fights anyway, between yeah. Bruno and Tyson, uh, 1989 and then uh, 1996. And they come together uh, in the documentary, don't they, for a chat, sort of look back on it together. That's the money shot. Yeah, That's yeah. the money shot right at the end. And you would almost, you would almost be wiping a tear from your eye at the end when uh, uh, finally they uh, take Bruno over to Miami where uh, where Tyson lives and the two old geezers sort of sit down and have a bit of a chat about it all. Mm. Um, clearly it meant way more to Frank Bruno than it did to Mike Tyson in terms of, I suppose, Frank Bruno. Although Frank Bruno's one of the few guys that really hurt Tyson. Mm. Uh, I think Duke, Duke McKenzie described it as uh, being hit by um, by Bruno as like being hit in the face with a tree trunk. Um, and <laughs> There is know, that moment, isn't there, with the Harry Carpenter moment when he says, go on, mm. go on, Frank. You know, he's just mm. willing. That's well, it the, looks yeah, like yeah. he's got him on the ropes, doesn't he? And he can't quite keep, yeah. it, keep it up. Yeah, but it is a great story. And you yeah. know, Gusto Mato, who was the mentor who took, uh, you know, took Bruno in and under his wing and all that. When he died, that was you know the, the documentary made that was a key, you know, a key uh, a key moment in the story. And from having no father figure, his father mm. figure became Don King. Not ideal. No. Um, as somebody said, it's like having an arsonist in your midst, and uh, Don King gave him the matches. As mm. it were, yeah, and uh, that's when it all went uh, sadly wrong, obviously for uh, for mm. Tyson. But there are some great moments. Uh, Terry Christian, inter- who knew Terry Christian mm. was uh, interviewing Frank uh, Bruno? Wow, okay. Uh, the HP, yeah, all there. The Good HP stuff. source ad. Um, yeah, we should uh, just squeeze uh, another quick one in. Uh, this is the Rugby Code Breakers, Martin. I don't know much mm. about this. Tell us, tell us about this. It's a brilliant show, this, actually. They're giving it a rerun, I think. It ran about a year or so ago, because I remember seeing it then. But because it's the Triple Crown and the you know the Six Nations and mm-hmm. everything, uh, they're rerunning it. And it's about the Welsh um, rugby union players who um, went to rugby league. Oh. You know, whenever the economy was really bad in Wales, they'd take the, uh, take the money, go to rugby league. There's one guy, uh, and I can't remember the name of the guy, who was, um, who was paid £4,000 to turn pro, because in those days... I to explain this is pre yes kiddies there was an amateur era yes. before uh, <laughs> rugby union went open so mm. this guy took uh, four thousand pounds and he's it he was being interviewed on the show and he said um uh, they offered me four thousand pounds to go up north and you could buy two houses in halifax for that in those <laughs> days well i've got news for you jonathan davis was probably the most famous wasn't he who, who kind of at the peak of his powers to go and, and play rugby league absolutely very frank about it he Mm. said that the doctor said to him you know that cruciate knee ligament um you know it may not last that longer uh, that much longer and uh, that's where he took it you know he he wanted the money obviously he just had a young family i think he had a six-month-old son at the time i decided to take the money but one of the um reasons was that you know the opportunity might not arise again because his knee was going but in actual fact the knee held out brilliantly and he scored some fantastic one of the best rugby league players one of the best players 
either code that that I ever saw. You wow. know, he was a fantastic player. That's on the i. Um, that's on the BBC iPlayer. Isn't BBC iPlayer. Yeah. yeah, just okay. you can look at under the title the Rugby Code Breakers on the BBC iPlayer. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Just one last story. There was mm-hmm. a, a guy called John Devereux. You may remember was a big Welsh mm-hmm. uh, international player. Uh, went up north to play for Widnes. And, uh, of course, in those days, the amateur days, if you were even caught talking to um, a rugby league agent, you know, you'd lose your amateur status. So Wigan, appro- witness, approached him and he said, to them, you will be dec- discreet, will you, if you come down and have a chat with me? And they said, well, don't worry, we'll be discreet. And they turned up with, uh, with a card saying, you know, Blogs & Co, top four dealer in witness. <laughs> and it was on sort of every panel of the car. Um, but, yeah, some great stories in it. Excellent. Really we'll be looking out for that. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Andy, you came up you came up with the idea. It was quite a bizarre idea the other day. You've always picked... The listeners should know you've... And if they regular listeners know, know, you've always been obsessed with this idea of whenever someone loses a lot of weight, they're the Weight Watcher of the Year or Slimmer's World Person of the Year, they're always photographed holding up uh, an old pair of their trousers, yeah. aren't they? Alongside Either inside them. or holding them. Holding That's the right. trousers alongside with a bit like a matador often, with a big smile <laughs> yeah. on their face. And you always think, blimey, that is impressive. Always massively <laughs> impressive if people have that presence of mind and that, that you know that will to do that sort of thing. So you, you thought the other day that you might just, you were thinking of buying yourself an incredibly big pair of trousers yeah. just to have a photograph of you holding them up. And this week... Size, yeah. yeah. Size 52 they were, and mm-hmm. as I uh, speculated on the programme, they, they were £18.99. I thought, that's a lot of money for a joke. 19 quid, really, in these times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but r- listener Rob Stokes, old friend of the show, and, uh, of course, he was listening, and he, he, he basically bought me a pair of very big trousers for four quid. He bought you a pair quid. of big trousers for four <laughs> quid. Nice. Okay. And, and he posted them to me. It was really decent of him. Mm. And uh, should give you, oh, can I see his book here? We should give it a plug, really. He writes books on goalkeepers, and I can't remember the name the title but glove, I should do, glove story they're called glove story yeah, of course it is glove books. story yeah, yeah really they're good. excellent yeah. so anyway so this, these trousers arrived yesterday so I said to him look I'll, I'll just hold them up you take a picture of me yeah. and I put it on Instagram <laughs> and I got an amazing reaction a lot of people who'd heard the show mm. thought oh you, you you spent 18 quid and I said no 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 I'll explain what happened but I did get some people the best one was the foodie footballer Mark Pugh formerly of Bournemouth man. of course yeah lovely formerly guy formerly of Bournemouth Lovely guy who genuinely thought I'd lost the weight. Well, I think he thought I'd been following his diet because his food's very healthy. Yeah, I think he thought I'd been following his diet. <laughs> he put up lots of uh, applause emojis. I said, no, I haven't lost any weight at all. It's about but, I mean, quite if, a few. If, you, if you're just feeling a bit low for any reason and you, and you just want people to sort of say nice things, just get a very big <laughs> pair of trousers and hold them up next to you, and you'll just you'll get lots and lots of uh, happy emojis I, and congratulations. I, I did send them to Ali Rost and ask him to forward them to the newsroom at the Sun to see if I can get in the. <laughs> Talksport presenter on Miracle Diet. No, but, but no, it's uh, the thing you don't say that. You just say, "There's Talksport presenter holding up his trousers." And when they say, "How much weight have you lost?" You'd say, "I haven't lost any weight. I'm just, I'm just a bloke holding up a pair of trousers." What's your problem? Yeah. You've the basically published. Sue it. thinks they're nice. I think she wants to alter them so they fit me. <laughs> Take them in a bit for you. Yeah, oh, that sounds nice. Well, look, well done. I'm sure you're proud of yourself. We'll, we'll put the we'll put the picture up uh, on TSH and J so you can see Andy. Just basically a bloke holding up a big pair of trousers. <laughs> if if you're that interested, you've been telling us this afternoon. We we were talking about autographs earlier on, and you were telling us some tales of when you were asked for autographs. Mike in West Sussex. He said I was on holiday in Lanzarote in 2004. I was about 
17. And a Spanish man mistook me for one of the brothers from the American band Hanson. He couldn't speak much English, so just stood in front of me singing their hit, Mbop. And then handed me, <laughs> and then handed me a pen and a paper. He said he was so excited, didn't want to disappoint him, and uh, I, I signed it. The trouble was, I didn't know any of their Christian names, so I just wrote <laughs> Hanson. Came, <laughs> I thought you're Alan Hanson. Exactly, know. that's right. Um, yeah, you had some good ones here. Um, I got mistaken for Tom Cruise, says Paul the Spurs fan, which is nice, but uh, unless he's gorged himself on burgers and pastas for the last six months, I think everybody was very much mistaken. It's good. And this is a good one from David. Ten years ago, I was in a club in Manchester. The bouncer came up to me saying, um, yeah, would you like to come into the VIP area? And could I have your autograph? And I said, oh, that's yeah, of course. So I just scribbled on a piece of paper, went into the VIP and drunk free champagne. And he said... To this day, I've got no idea who he thought I was. So you just you don't look a gift horse in the mouth, do you? That's, that's the way to do it. And another nice one, finally. Um, Pete from Macclesfield got approached at a summer fair in Cheshire back in 1975 by a couple of guys who were convinced I was Dennis Lilly, the Australian fast bowler. I have to say at the time I did sport the archetypal 70s mullet and tash and I, there was a passing resemblance despite my protestations these guys trailed around after me saying go on Dennis you know you're him eventually the strain got too much and my <laughs> wife said oh for goodness sake just sign for them so I did and they walked off happy saying told you told you it was him and felt guilty ever since says uh, Pete so yeah more common than you think so thanks for all of those The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. Time then to look uh, away from the sporting TV at the non-sporting TV. And Mike Ward, Brighton supporting TV reviewer from the Star, is back. Good afternoon, Mike. Afternoon, guys. So are you getting a bit nervous as a Brighton fan? They say performance is not bad, results not good. Well, um, yeah, it's just the same old story. It feels like you know a bit of a stuck record even talking about it. But we we just seem to have a billion shots on target and, and dominate games, but we can't finish it off and uh, could pay a heavy price for that. But we're just hoping, as ever in these things, you know, 17th be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they'll be all right. Yeah, I think they should be. I think it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's touch and go. Now tonight uh, we have a, 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 a Tommy Cooper at the BBC seven thirty-five yeah. mm. BBC One, and uh, Lenny mm. Henry is the host. Um, it, it's quite a quirky little bit of yeah programming. It's a, it's a collection. Yeah, the BBC over the next uh, few days they're doing a lot of um, comedy stuff. As uh, a lot of it is, is um, sort of old material and compilations and what have you. There's a Carolina. Hearn uh, thing on Monday as well. Mm. This is Tommy Cooper. Obviously, did the bulk of his stuff on ITV um, and yeah. uh, had regular series on there. But he made a few appearances on the BBC. As uh, if you go on YouTube, there's an appearance of him on uh, on Parkinson, which is quite revealing in itself because it, oh, it's always, I've seen know, that he, he was very funny. Wasn't yeah, he? he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was because Parky wasn't quite sure what role to play in the whole exchange, so he basically played the sort of straight man and sort of set him up for the gags but you know he was an absolute genius and nobody's ever been quite like him you know he's obviously a very damaged guy as we sort of found out as often is often the case but Mm. um fascinating and his whole style of comedy and the fact that he you know the the basic shtick with that he would be doing these magic tricks and getting them wrong but we knew at the same time that he had the genuine talent and that i think that was crucial the fact that we knew he actually he was capable of doing it because if it was just you know inept all the way through the gag would have worn thin quite quickly i think mm, so. yeah yeah okay so seven th- is it an hour or something no it's, it's just it's just half an hour half um, an hour. so yeah 
Okay. Well worth a look, anyway. 7.35 uh, on BBC One tonight. Later with Jules Holland, Tom Jones is on there Tom with his new album. Jones. Blimey. This is his 41st, mm. apparently his 41st album. And I must admit, when I first heard that, I thought, wow, that's amazing. But when you look back, his first album was in 1965, which means, by my calculations, and I tap this into my pocket calculator, <laughs> um, that uh, he's only done one every 16 months on average. Oh, so that's pretty slack. shoddy. Thank <laughs> you know? for bringing like Motti, but for Tom Jones. He's got yes. you bringing us the stats. Yes, I could do more than that if you want. But, is, it, uh, is it still a virtual thing, this, with the... Uh, yeah, the, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's not back to the full-fledged sort of, sort of uh, all gathered around in the studio and, and what have you, but uh, okay. that'd be nice if that comes back, wouldn't it? S- Saturday yeah, night, tonight, night, 10 o'clock, BBC Two. Saturday night, you say there's, there's not much new on, really. No. There's no... It's just all all the old stuff. It's a lot it? of old stuff, yeah. So t- tomorrow night, um, BBC Two. At nine mm. o'clock, we've got Dave Allen, The Immaculate uh, Selection, which is a collection of uh, some of the stuff he did on the BBC uh, in the 70s and 80s. And then after mm. that, we have, obviously new in, in the sense that it's a new compilation. It's a 90-minute uh, compilation of um, of some of his great material on various different themes. <laughs> I, like the, I haven't seen any of this, but I like the way it's billed as uh, tackling everything from the process of ageing to the invasive tendencies of the modern telephone. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> not wrong. if only you knew what was coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> telephone, so, eh? Saturday evening. Sunday, yeah. uh, there is a, a, a live sort of stand-up show which they've been able to do in these COVID times. Yes, absolutely. This is Funny Festival Live, and this is part of the whole thing that the BBC are doing in various different... Uh, just to cheer everyone up, I think. Thing. So a lot of it, as I say, is old stuff compilations, but they've also got this uh, this live um, or recorded live uh, series of shows. I don't know much about it because it's all been done very last minute, but it's a mixture of um, established performers and up and coming guys. So I, the people who are involved include mm. um, uh, Dane Baptiste, Joe Brand, uh, Jason Manford. So it's um, it's a nightly thing. I think it's going. Uh, I think it's five nights on the trot. Yeah. And it, okay. they've got to the closing stages of Dancing on Ice, but they've only got four celebrities left after all the injuries. <laughs> and they've got, they've got they've basically, they're, they're going to have to do two 90-second routines, and the rest of it is padding for two hours. It's wow. a two-hour show. They've got about eight minutes of skating. Eight they, minutes of skating in a two-hour show. They're so extraordinary I, good. I think they, get, they need to get the panel to talk more. You know when the, when the cricket finishes after two days? Yeah. You know, basically the guys who've got that talent for just talking... <laughs> You know, feeling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, get uh, you know. Let's get let's, let's get um, Torven and Dean to sort of really analyse in depth. Doing two hours on skating. Yeah. Yeah, you, you never know. So okay, well, yeah. if you like, if you like a bit of a padding, uh, tune in to Dancing on Ice on Sunday night. Uh, Mike, we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks Cheers, very guys. Much. Take care. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. Do look out for Andy holding up a big old pair of trousers, but. He's not lost the weight. Don't worry about that. Uh, Andy will be back on Monday as we look back on uh, the football this weekend. Max and Charlie uh, will be with me for a couple of days next week as well. So have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. And uh, don't forget the uh, eight, the Clips of the Week podcast is of all, all, also available wherever you got this podcast. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.